Well, it's so good to be with you in church, uh, January the 8th. Happy New Year. We're still allowed to say that, right? Like, I, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like there's like a, like a grace period for New Year. You're still allowed to say it. Like last year, last week we were here on January 1st and Pastor Riley preached the best message I heard all year uh, last week. It was so good and uh, it was awesome. And, and uh, you know, but I, I kind of feel like, you know, like January 1st, that's like a cold start. I kind of need a rolling start. How many know I didn't even order the exercise bike until January the 4th? And it's not arriving till next week, okay? So like, you're going to see some Fit Bateses up here in a couple weeks, maybe in a couple months. We'll see. Uh, you know, the, you know we gotta, I got to eat up the Christmas baking. How many, I just feel so bad, you know, throwing things out. So there's some things we got to eat up before. So kind of need like a soft launch to the new year. So, so I think that we could say uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all of you joining us online today. We are so glad and grateful that you're able to tune in with us wherever you are today. Uh, in case you can't tell, I'm excited. I'm excited to be in church. I'm excited for what this year has. Some of you are like, well, Pastor Jerry, that's your disposition. You're always excited. I'm not always excited, but I'm excited uh, today. I'm expecting great things. I'm expecting great things for my life. I'm expecting great things for my family. I'm expecting great things for my church family. I'm expecting great things for our community. Uh, and, and here's what I know. This is why I am expecting great things. I know that even though we've turned the calendar year and that brings with it some expectations, I know that we serve a God who's not influenced by the turning of a calendar, right? We serve a God who is faithful year after year, season after season. He is faithful and true. And so I know that no matter what calendar year I'm in, God is faithful. But I also know that uh, life and the kingdom of God seems to run in seasons. How many know there's different seasons to our life, right? There's seasons of, of planting, there's seasons of growth, there's seasons of harvesting, there's seasons of hardship, and there's seasons of blessing. And so uh, I've also learned that those seasons also they overlap simultaneously. How many know you can have a different season in the different areas of your life? You know, not everything is always in the same season at the same time, but whatever we're going through, I know that God is good, and I know he's faithful and true, so I'm excited uh, for what God has in store for this year. Uh, I want God to lead us. I want God to do things through us and in us uh, that are bigger than we even dream or imagine. That's where my heart is at today. I'm also excited uh, for this sermon series. How many believe that the preaching of the word can change your life, Right? You don't show up here every week just because you want to see Pastor Jer, right? <laughs> I don't know, maybe you do, but I doubt it. I, if you do, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, but, but here's what I believe about the preaching of God's Word. I don't preach God's Word just for information. Right? I, I want you to learn the Bible. I want you to learn the Word of God. But my goal isn't just to convey information to you. I don't want you just to leave here going, well, I learned something new uh, about the Bible today. Although I do want you to learn uh, the Scriptures. Uh, I don't want just information. I don't want just inspiration. I don't want you going out of here today going, well, I just feel so much better having been in church today. Although I do want you to feel better having been in church. But what I really, as I'm crafting my sermons and I'm praying, I'm saying, God, don't just like, inform us, don't just inspire us, but God, would you transform us? 
that's my goal in preaching. That's my goal as I pray over these messages that God, would you transform us? And before you transform the people I'm preaching to, would you transform me? And so I've been wrestling with this passage all week. And so I'm excited about what God has for us today. I'm excited about what God has for me. James 1.21 says, Humbly accept the word of God. The word God is planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. So this morning, you might be here, and you might be ready to learn something. You might be ready to be inspired. But I pray, most of all, that you would be ready to accept the word of God and allow it to transform your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, here's the thing. New Year's marketing and messaging, it all revolves around transformation, doesn't it? Right? Uh, all week we've been seeing the advertisements and like when I was looking up what exercise bike that I needed to buy, I was reading all the promotion material around it and I was learning you can transform your figure, uh, you can transform your, your health, you can transform your finances, uh, all these things that you can transform in your life as you adjust your priorities and adopt healthy habits and uh, that's really what this new year uh, season is all about in many ways. Uh, and so but I can't speak to the effectiveness of all those other products. You know, there's a lot of things you could do. A few easy, simple payments, 1995, and you can transform your life with some products. I can't speak to those products. Uh, but I do know of something that can transform each and every one of our lives today. Something that will, if we make it a habit and a practice. If you've already developed this habit in your life, you know the power of it. And so I'm excited today to talk about the power and the habit of prayer. How many want to talk about prayer this morning? How many would say that you believe in the power of prayer? Would you put your hand up across this room? Okay, most of us, many of us, believe in the power of prayer. Uh, I heard there's a lot of talk about prayer this uh, week in our mainstream media, on social media, all over the place. We heard about prayer. If, if, you probably heard of it, but if you didn't, uh, last Monday night's football game, uh, one of the players, Damar Hamlin, uh, from the Buffalo Bills, suffered a cardiac arrest on the field, and it was shocking uh, for the fans on television to, to see that. You don't usually see that kind of thing in that kind of a public arena. And if you saw that, and you're probably aware that a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of teammates, a lot of well-wishers uh, began to post on social media. You began to hear a lot of thoughts and prayers for DeMar, right? You, be, you hear that all week, talking about the thoughts and the prayers going towards uh, this player uh, who was injured. Uh, but one specific instance gained more attention than all the others, and it was from a man named Dan Orlowski. Uh, Dan Orlowski was a former NFL player. Uh, he's now a commentator on ESPN Sports. And so he was on there doing his broadcast. And in this moment, while everyone else is offering thoughts and prayers uh, on live television, Dan said, I believe in the power of prayer. And if we can, I'm going to take this moment to use my platform to pray publicly on live television. And so he got the response that you're giving right now. A lot of people were saying, wow, this is incredible to see someone with the faith and the courage to pray publicly. Uh, even those who wouldn't consider themselves Christians, uh, you know, applauded a lot. Of, a, a few people uh, were critical of his uh, platform uh, usage in this way. But many were finding it refreshing, uh, not just to offer up thoughts and prayers, but to actually 
pray. So I asked you just a few moments ago, who believes in the power of prayer? I want to ask you another question this morning. Who would say that your prayer life is an area that you would like to grow in and see more consistency in, right? Who would say that most of us, many of us, would say that's an area of development? It's a funny thing that we would all say, we believe in the power of prayer, but at the same time, we would say it's an area of growth or weakness in my life. Now, why is that? That's a funny thing, isn't it? If you truly believed in it, you would say, this is an area that I put a lot of time and attention to. But most Christians in North American context would say, this is an area that I want to develop. It's probably an underutilized and underdeveloped area of my life. But I just think right now that God has something that's stirring afresh in our hearts as a faith community. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a faith-filled home and a prayer-filled home. And I remember many instances where we would pray as a family, uh, not just at mealtime or bedtime, but we would gather sometimes in the living room to pray. Uh, our church as a kid, they would have prayer times too. I remember going to church uh, before the Sunday night service and they would have uh, a, a handful of people. It was always just a handful. It wasn't all, a lot of people, it was always a handful of people would come to pray. And if I'm quite honest with you, I knew the importance of prayer, but I found it quite boring. As a kid, I hated going to prayer meeting. I hated going to pre-service prayer. It wasn't something that I looked forward to. But as a teenager, I began to learn to pray. In grade nine, I was blessed to have some older students in my high school who would gather once a week for prayer. And they, uh, just student-led, they would go to the library, they had a room booked, and they would pray. And as a, a grade nine student going to a new high school, I was inspired by them to, to join them. And, uh, and uh, eventually I changed schools, I moved with my family, and, and we didn't have anything like that, and I felt, you know what, maybe that's something that I could start at my school. I began to lead a prayer group uh, once a week at our school. But prayer is still one of those funny things. I remember going, our youth group would have prayer nights and I would go to the prayer night a little begrudgingly. I would actually honestly go just to see what people were doing afterwards. I would go to the prayer meeting so that we could go to Wendy's or McDonald's after the prayer meeting. But this is what I discovered. No matter what my motive was for going, whenever I showed up, God showed up too. Whatever my motive was for getting there, when I did get there and got into the presence of God, God would speak to me and challenge me and do things in my life. I remember a conference as a grade 11 student, and I've been going to youth church all my life, going to youth conferences, and I loved going, you know, I love when the students go away. Uh, but this year, I was kind of in this conference in the worship, and I was feeling to myself, like, this isn't hitting the same as it used to, right? I'm not moved. I'm not crying. I'm not, you know, None of the emotions are there. It just is not the same as it was last year. And I just kind of remember in this moment, God challenging me as a high school kid to leave where I was and to go pray for someone else. And in that moment, God unlocked something in me because in this conference, I was thinking all about me and how I'm feeling and what is God doing in my life. And God began to move me to pray for others. And as I began to pray for someone else, timidly, kind of like, you know, high school kid, just kind of working it out. But even as I did that, this joy filled my heart that God would use me and, and uh, to speak into the life of others. And so prayer has been a journey for my life. As prayer is really a a learned spiritual practice. Prayer takes some time and some intention to develop. 
Now I say that with a caveat because a lot of us look at prayer and we think that it's something that's learned and so it must be beyond our scope, right? We, we think that there's probably a better way or there's a right way to do it and uh, because of that, you know, that's what hinders us. And it's one of those funny things. We, it takes time and intention to develop but it's also the simplest thing at the same time, right? I want to encourage you today not to overthink it. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18 about two men who go to the temple to pray. And one who's well-versed in religion, you know, he knows all the theology. It says that he gets up to pray with these eloquent prayers and he goes on long-windedly using all the theological concepts. And in this moment, Jesus says, this guy's not praying. He's soliloquizing. I don't even know that's a word. He's giving a monologue. He's giving a monologue about how great he is. And in contrast, Jesus points to a man who's simply uh, kneeling, crying in the corner, saying, God, forgive me, I'm a beggar. I'm a sinner in need of you. And he said, that's the real man praying. So it's not about the words we use or uh, about the theology we bring to it. It's about this simpleness of coming to God in prayer. Prayer essentially is real people talking to a real God about real things. That's really what prayer is. But we still take time to, to cultivate it and, and develop it in our life. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we have this thing where prayer is so simple and yet it's a learned thing. It's this thing where we, we come humbly before God and yet we also come boldly before God. And so it's, it's a learned uh, a thing. And so uh, and here's what I know. Uh, prayer, rather than being powerful and exhilarating in our North American context, is often considered to be boring and powerless. And, but how many know it's easy to get into ruts? Anyone ever find it's easy to get into a rut? Like, not just driving, but just in life, right? We get into these ruts, and, uh, and it's easy to get into ruts in our prayer life. Uh, if you're conscious of it, you begin to notice that you pray re maybe repetitive prayers. Maybe there's some boring and powerless prayers. Not a uh, show of hands today, but, but if you were to think, like, where's my prayer life at? Like, is it repetitive, powerless, and boring? Some of us would say, yeah, that kind of describes me. Uh, uh, here's my thing with, with my kids. I remember, I, even right now, we're trying to teach them how, how to pray. And when they were little, we would say, well, repeat after me. And after they got a little older, we would say, okay, now, you know, here's some prayers. And they would begin to recite the prayers, you know, like, God is great, God is good, bless us food, amen, right? Or the Johnny Appleseed song at dinner, or whatever it is, right? But they kind of get into this formulaic prayer. And now they're at the place where we're saying, now, now pray something from your heart. Now pray something from your life. They offer God something from you. And, and so that's what we're trying to do with them. Uh, rather than paying repetitive, powerless prayers, we, wanna, we want to get prayer coming from their hearts. You know when prayer gets boring, though? Prayer gets boring when it's really routine. Prayer gets boring when it's really safe, repetitive, benign prayers. You know, if we're being so uh, honest, much of what we pray might be considered patterns, predictable, generic, safe, right? They think about these prayers. How much of our prayers revolve around, God, would you be with me, protect me, bless me, bless my food, 
give me traveling mercies. I don't know what traveling mercies are. I remember growing up as a kid, everyone was praying for traveling mercies. I mean, let God go with it. But it was that, you know, traveling mercy. The best one was a hedge of protection. God, would you put a hedge of protection? I don't want a hedge of protection. If I'm having protection, I want a wall of protection. Uh, I want a wall of angels for protection, right? A hedge of protection. I never got that one, right? A hedge of protection. But if we were to analyze our prayers, you might assume from our Christian life that the goal of life was to live as safely and comfortably and arrive at death as safely as possible, right? If you were to look at our prayers, you would basically think that prayer is like bubble wrap. If I could just put bubble wrap around my life, guard me, protect me, put me in the little box so that I could arrive at the pearly gates intact and in one piece one day. How many know that Jesus never said that the Christian life would be safe or boring? Right? How many know that Jesus actually said in John 16 that you're going to have trouble? Uh, he said in John 15 that you're going to face persecution. That in John 10.10 10, though, this is what Jesus says. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. How many know there's a fullness of life, not a bubble wrap life? There's a fullness of life that God wants us to have. Yeah, we got to pray for safety and protection. I'm not talking against those things. Like, like if you want to pray a hedge of protection over me, I'll take it. If you want to pray an army of angels, I'll take that too, right? But what I'm saying, though, is that there's more than just praying for safety. There's more than just praying for blessing. Any car people in the house? Car people? Few car people? Well, I used to have this neighbor, and my neighbor had a 1986 Porsche 911 turbo. And so one day he was out washing his car, and I was out there cutting the grass, and I was out there, I said, hey, this is such a sweet car, Steve. And Steve said, would you like to take it for a drive? I said, oh. <laughs> I would. He said, go get Holly, and you could take her for a drive. So I went and got Holly. She goes, I don't care about cars. I don't want to go in this car. And so Steve, said, she doesn't want to go. She said, well, I'll come with you then. I was so glad Steve came with me. How many know that when I was driving that car, if I was driving with Holly, I would be babying it around the corners, right? We would just be like easing out onto the street. How many know I can't afford to replace it or fix it, right? All right? I would just be easing it, hands 10 and 2, right? Slowly, safely. Well, Steve came. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm driving your car. He goes, that's not driving my car. That's not how this car was meant to be drived, driven. So he said, come with me. So he said, I want you to pull out here. And then we went out of town a little bit to this uh, country road. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your foot to the floor in first gear. I want you to leave the pedal to the floor. Don't change gears into second gear until I tell you. And I said, okay. And so we got on this car. We got the, the pedal to the floor. And we're doing 20. We're doing 30. We're doing 40. We're doing 50. We're doing 60 in first gear. If you know anything about cars, this is a little crazy. He goes, now pop it in a second. I put it in a second. And the turbocharger kicked in. Boom! I was like going down. I was like... How many know I wouldn't be driving that car without Steve, <laughs> right? I was like, okay, let's baby this thing, right? But Steve said, this car is meant to be driven differently. There's some power to this car. There's more to this car than just driving safely. And so what I want us to do today is to think about prayer. Not about safe prayer, 
Not about just, you know, 10 and 2 prayer, God, keep us safe, keep our hands on the wheel, but God, would you let the power of your Holy Spirit, the turbocharger, kick into my life? Would you let that life to the full, that's the kind of prayer, that's the kind of life I want to live, a living, the full and fulfilling life God created us for. And so we're starting a series today called Living on a Prayer. Some of us, we've been living on a prayer a little too much. We're really adventurous, and we've been living on a prayer, you know, for a long time. But I want to talk about living life to its fullest, living on a prayer today. And yes, you can have that song stuck in your head. Oh, we're halfway there. Oh, there. I just get it out of the way, so now I know you're there. I loved, I loved singing twice in the last month. This is amazing. The feedback I got for Old Holy Night was astounding. <laughs> you would have. But over the next four weeks, I want to talk about four prayers that are guaranteed to push us out of our comfort zones, that are going to push us, challenge us. They're going to make us uncomfortable. They're going to stretch us. But they're going to get us out of that comfort zone. And, and, and they're going to get us looking deep inside ourselves. But most of all, they're going to get us looking to our God to lead us in living life to the full that he has created us for. If you're ready for that, I would say, turbocharge me, baby. <laughs> See, these prayers, I want to warn you up front, you might be a little apprehensive to pray them. These prayers lead to exhilarating life. They live to intimacy with God. They move our hearts. They inspire faith. They encourage trust, and they're rewarding, but they're also come with some risk involved. How many people are risk adverse, right? I want to challenge you not to pray risk adverse prayers, but to say, God, would you lead me in the prayers of, that give life and intimacy with me? So if you turn with me to Psalm 139 this morning, we're going to look to our first prayer. This prayer comes from the inspiration of uh, the prayers of David. And it's one of the most vulnerable, transparent prayers we find in Scripture, and it takes courage to pray it, but it takes even more courage to respond to it when God answers our prayers. Psalm 139, verse 23 says this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and, leads me, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You don't have to look very far in the Psalms to really get David's heart. What we see in here uh, parts of David where he's just crying out to God. Uh, he's complaining. He's venting to God. There's times of brokenness and uh, there's times of, uh, of questioning God. But we also see him praising God. We see him, uh, you know, just dwelling on God's holiness and righteousness. But here in this prayer, we see this prayer from the depths of his soul crying out to his heavenly father. This morning we're going to break this into its four parts as they're laid out here. The first one is this, search my heart, O God. Search my heart. How do I know that's a risky prayer to pray? Search my heart, O God. Now the first thing that comes to your mind might be, why ask God to search our hearts? Like we already know what's in there, and he already knows what's in there. So why bother praying this? In fact, at the very start of this chapter, Dave, David actually says in verse uh, 1 to 4, he says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. 
You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. So why, why pray this prayer then? This prayer isn't so much about God getting our permiss- permission. It's not about him getting permission to look into our lives, not getting, giving him permission to speak into our lives. This is more about us acknowledging that we're listening. We're ready to respond to what God has. This prayer is about us being ready to hear and listen to what God has. See, here's the thing. God already knows what's in our heart, and he's not surprised by what he finds there. But we might be surprised by what we find there. We might be surprised. You know, if you're like most people, you would say, well, I've got a good heart. Right? Most people in the world are good-hearted people. The Bible actually says that's nonsense. The Bible actually says in Jeremiah 17, the human heart is the most. Everyone say the most. The most deceitful of all things and desperately, everyone say desperately, Desperately. wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You don't have a good heart, the Bible says. The person beside you, they don't have a good heart either. Here's the thing, we need to understand that without Christ, our hearts aren't good. It says the most deceitful and wicked thing. That's pretty bad. Well, you might say, well, I'm an honest person. You know, I tell the truth. Do you really? You know who we lie to the most? To ourselves, right? We're not truthful with ourselves all the time. We have this natural inclination in our hearts towards ourselves, right? We have this natural inclination towards us. Want me to prove it to you? Any photo you look at, what's the first thing you look for? Are you in it? And what do you look like? And do we need to retake it, right? Because you don't look very good, right? We have this inclination towards ourselves. We have an inclination towards self-gratification. We have an inclination towards self-preservation. Even though we're good people and a lot of us are upstanding citizens in our community, the Bible still says that we don't have a good heart. Without Christ, the inclination of our heart is often towards what's easier than towards what's right. Without Christ, the inclination of our heart is inclined towards what's temporary uh, as opposed to what's eternal. Without Christ, our, our heart's inclination is towards what makes us happy and what we want as opposed to what God wants. We want what's fulfilling now and not as what, uh, what is lasting and eternal. We want what makes us look good and feel good. And that's the orientation of our hearts. But as we look at David's life, we find a lot of reasons why he would be tempted to just cope with life's circumstances, to excuse himself. Uh, we find a lot, you know, he's been through a lot. We think of David and the period of time where King Saul, if you're familiar with the story, David's anointed as a future king and King Saul, the reigning king, begins to hunt him down, begins to pursue him like a wild animal and David finds himself running and hiding and, and all under the wild, having this anointing of God on his life but wondering if I'm anointed by God then why am I in this place of persecution and hiding and running? David could have had a lot of things in his heart. You know, he could have turned to escape and to numbing. You know, he could have turned to alcohol. He would have been justifiably an alcoholic. (laughs) Like, God, you know, I got a lot to deal with here. I just need something to take the edge off. Right? He could have looked at his heart and said, you know what, bitterness and anger and resentment. Like, of course I'm all those things, God. Look at the situation I find myself in. 
right? He could have turned to revenge and to harm towards Saul to, you know, relieve the pressure. And yet in this place, instead of any of those things, he says, search my heart, oh God. See if there's anything in me. Search my heart. Here's the thing. Instead of asking God to do something for you, sometimes we need to ask God to reveal something in us. Right? How many times are we just always praying, God, would you do this for me? Would you do that for me? Sometimes we just need to say, God, would you reveal something in me? That's a risky prayer to start this year with. God, reveal something in me. You gotta know the risk, right? That this invitation for God to show you the things in your life that aren't pure, the things that are broken, the things that are hindering your spiritual growth, you know, it can be painful. But here's the thing, it's oh so worth it because it brings us to this place of deeper intimacy with God. It allows the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ. It's a hard prayer to pray, but it brings us closer to God. Search my heart, oh God. So David, he takes this prayer, and then he gets really specific. This is one of those learned things in prayer. Not just praying general prayers. He says, I want to get specific. The next thing he says is, would you reveal my fears and uncover my sin. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What makes you anxious? What makes you afraid? I kind of say when they invited me to come and move my family to British Columbia that no one told me there are so many ways to die here. <laughs> like, there's cougars and there's bears in Ontario, but they're not really around too much, right? But I had no idea that Canada had rattlesnakes and black widow spiders. I did not know that that existed in Canada. That is something that you guys have kept quiet on the west side of the Rockies, right? No one else in Canada knows we have poisonous things in our country. I'm not a fan of spiders, and I will go a long way out of my way to avoid a snake. I'm just telling you right now. Not because I'm afraid, I'm just, you know... That sleeping snakes lie. That's what, that's what I'm saying. But I'm not talking about those outer fears. I'm talking about the inner fears. The anxious thoughts that God wants to reveal to us. You know, some of us have so much anxiety. We just feel like when life is going well, we're just waiting for it to, like, the other shoe to drop. It's like, you know, when things are going well, I have this like, inkling in the back of my mind that something's about to change and it's all going to go south pretty quick. Right? We just live with this anxiety. Some of us, we are adverse to making a commitment to a relationship. We don't want to get married because we're afraid of the commitment. Some of us are in a marriage commitment and we're just afraid that it's not going to go well. Some of us are like, I'm afraid I'm not going to get married by the age that I had set out. We, we have all these fears, right? So some of us are afraid of the future. Just the unknown makes us uncomfortable thinking about it. Some of us are afraid of failing. And I've actually heard of a few people who say, I'm actually afraid of succeeding. Because if I succeed, then I'm going to have all the pressures that go with maintaining success, finding new success. Some of us are so afraid of others' opinions. For me, that was my biggest thing as a teenager, just kind of learning. I cared so much. Like, I didn't care what people thought about me, but I also cared so much. I was so adverse to confrontation, so adverse to, you know, like, just any kind of, like, 
negative feeling or this kind of, you know, emotion that just kind of made me really just easy to get along with, but I had to learn as a leader that you need to confront some things. You need to address things. That addressing things is actually a kindness to the other person when you address it, right? And, uh, and so I had to learn that. Craig Grishel, he says this, he says, what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. But ruminating about that, like, is this true? Is this a true statement? What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. It certainly can be. You know, I was talking about moving here. One of the things for me is, like, I can move anywhere. I can go and do whatever God's called me to do and kind of whatever comes with that, I can handle that. But for me, to be honest with you, it's my kids, Right, like to uproot them and to move them across. Like God, I'm like, what? What if it doesn't go well for them? What? What if they fall in with bad crowd? What if they don't serve? What if this? And for me, a lot of the past year has been saying, you know what, God, I just got to trust you with my kids. I got to trust you because I know that you love them more than I love them. I know it's not my plan and purpose for their life. It's your plan and purpose for their life. And so I got to just release that to you. That's, I'm just being honest with you, right? And that's, for you, I don't know what it is in your life, but you're just like, I'm just so afraid of this. What's motivating that fear? What's motivating that anxiousness? God said, well, you release that to me. Trust me with that. Maybe you're in a marriage and you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. Can I just say, would you release that to Jesus and allow him to work in it? You know, maybe you're in a situation, you're just like, I don't know how this is going to turn Release your life to Jesus. He loves you. He cares about you. Why does this prayer matter? Why do we need to ask God to show us our anxious thoughts and reveal the fear that's fueling us? It's because we can't serve God and please God and live in the freedom of God when we're driven by fear. Because we can't be driven by fear and led by faith at the same time. So we need to say, God, would you reveal my fears to me so that I can release those things and find healing and wholeness so that I can be led by the faith uh, that you have in store for me. Faith is what propels us into the living this full life that Jesus has for us. See, it's not about what's going on outside my life. You know, some of us, we learned that during COVID, right? The whole world can be upside down and on fire, it would seem, for many of us. But many of us, we experience the peace of God. Not all of us. Some of us looked at the people around us and said, I have no idea how you're living with so much joy and so much peace inwardly right now. But some of us have found out that's not what's outward. That's not, that's not what affects me. It's this inward place of saying, God, my fears and my anxieties, I cast those on you. Would you give me faith? Would you give me courage? Externally, everything can change for better or for worse. But internally, I can be at peace. I can be at joy. I can be finding fulfillment in less than ideal circumstances uh, because I'm not driven by fear, but I'm led by faith. As a young pastor, I used to think that good leaders, they were the courageous ones. They're the ones who weren't afraid. That's what made a good pastor, a good leader, you know, a mature Christian. They're the ones who aren't afraid. But as I grew up, I learned that that's not quite true. What I learned out is many of the people I looked up to and admired were actually had fear of their own. But they had learned to do things in spite of their fear. They had learned not to be paralyzed by fear, but learned to be doing things afraid. And as they, did those, as they took those faith steps, they were led by faith and their fears would subside. Asking God to reveal our fears is so that we can confront them and allow God to build faith in its place. 
This is how we build faith. We start, like I just said, when I trust my kids, my, I trust God loves my kids. How many know the Bible says in James 4, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. Perfect love expels all fear. Tell you, if you're living in fear, I want you just to simply say, God, I need to know your love for me. I need to saturate my heart and my mind, not with what could happen, with what might happen. I need to saturate my heart with, and mind with this thought, God loves me. God loves me, and because he loves me, he has the best for me. Well, David moves a step further, and he says, uncover my sins. Now, that's a gutsy prayer, right? There's nothing safe or boring about this prayer. God, show me anything in my life that's displeasing to you. Show me where I'm compromising your standards, where I'm feeding my flesh, where I'm not in obedience or alignment and reliance on you. How many know it's easier to identify the sin in other people's life than it is in ours, right? <laughs> How many know it's true, right? We're masters at rationalizing our actions, right? We excuse ourselves for doing the things that we accuse other people of doing. You know what I hate? I hate when I'm trying to turn like left at a red light, and, you know, and, the, and the, that person coming through, I'm like, I need to turn, but like they're running the yellow, right? And so I can't turn because they're going, and I'm stuck out there in the intersection, right? Once in a while, you give them a little honk, you know, a little, hey, buddy, learn to drive, or, you know, something like that, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I hate it when people run the yellow, and then I get stuck out there, you know, in the, you know trying to turn. How many know that at the same time I find myself the person running yellow and leaving the person out there? I noticed I did it the other day and I'm like, I can't believe I just did to someone else what I hate they do to me, right? That's just a small example, but we do that. We rationalize our actions. We excuse ourselves. Our hearts are deceitful. So we need to say, God, would you uncover my sin? Here's three questions to consider to allow God to reveal sin in your heart. The first question is this, am I ignoring any warning signs? Am I ignoring any warning signs? The first thing we gotta do is start in scripture. Scripture says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If you're not in scripture, then you're not heeding God's warning. There's a warning to you right there. To be into scripture and to say, God, as I read, what are you saying to me through these verses? Is there anything in my life that you're convicting me of, challenging me of? Is there anything in my life? And that brings conviction and conscience. You know, our world understands conscience, but we also know as the spirit-filled believers, the Holy Spirit brings conviction to our life. You know, and so is there anything that I know, that, but is there anything that I'm rationalizing is okay for me, right? Is there anything that, you know, it might not be right, but it's not that big a deal, right? It may not be right, but this is how I cope. This is my one thing. This is like, it's my one vice. It's not that bad, right? It's not hurting anyone else, right? We rationalize the sin in our life by just explaining how it's okay for us. But we need to say, God, is there anything in my life that I'm convicted of. A uh, young man recently was telling me that he'd been coming to church for weeks, 
thinking about how he wanted to confess something in his life and he wanted to confess it, but he kept coming and kept holding on to it for weeks and weeks and months and months, wrestling with his conviction and he finally had to get it out off his heart. If, it's, if that's you, don't wrestle with it. Don't rationalize it. Say, God, let me deal with this. I'm ignoring any warning side. The second thing, are others trying to warn me of things in my life? How many know if, you know if two or three trusted, loving people are telling you the same thing, you might want to listen to them, right? This is what it says in Proverbs 12. It says, fools think their own way is right. How <laughs> many live with a fool? How many know the fool is you? Okay, okay, all right. But the wise listen to others. The Bible says the wise listen to others. If there's people continuously telling you the same thing in your life, it's a good chance for you to listen to them and acknowledge them. The third thing is this. Where am I most defensive? Is there areas of your life that you're just like, yeah, we don't go there. You know, we're just not talking about that. Anytime anyone else talks about that, I get really uncomfortable. Not really cool talking about that area of my life. Maybe you have a life, and I've heard many people describe it as though your house is clean, but there's a little shoebox tucked away in a little corner of your life that no one knows about. You bring it down once in a while, that sin in your life, whatever it is, and God is saying, hey, let's get that out of your life. Let's deal with that. Show me my heart. Show me my fears. Uncover my sin. And then he says, lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is the key to the fulfilled life that God has for us. If you want to walk in freedom, if you want to walk in growth, you want to walk in blessing, it starts with saying, God, search my heart. See if there's anything in me hindering me from walking and the freedom and the fullness that you have for me. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And uh, this is what I want you to know as you pray this prayer. As God begins to show you the things of your heart that he wants to bring into alignment. And this isn't just like, like novice Christians pray this prayer. This is the most mature people. Right? The most mature people are, how many know we're always saying, God, refine me? God, anything in me? How many know I collect junk in my life every year? Right? And just like I got to do a purge of the garage on an annual basis, I got to do a purge of my life saying, God, have I collected anything in my heart that's not pleasing to you? Lead me along the path of righteousness. And this is what I want you to know. Don't be discouraged or defeated if God reveals things to you. To you. Don't go, well, I'm worse than I thought I was. That's the whole point. God already knows your heart. We're going to celebrate communion in a moment. The, the message of communion is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we were in the process of becoming saved and sanctified. We are becoming in the process of becoming who God's called us to be. But none of us are perfect. And so when we come to this place and we say, and if God reveals hard things in our life, it's not to discourage you, but it's a gift. It's a gift to remind us, oh man, this is why I need Jesus. This is why I got to keep coming to Jesus. This is why this blood and this, uh, this wafer, this broken body and blood of Jesus, this is why it has importance and significance in my life today is because I got to keep coming back to the cross to find the help and the grace and the mercy that Jesus wants to give to me. It's his work in us that makes us healthy, whole, 
and filled with faith so that when our soul is cleansed, when our heart is healed, when our mind is right, then we can walk in total freedom. And so God, I just pray in this place today, God, that we wouldn't be unduly burdened. I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit just motivating us, inspiring us. God, that you would just be propelling us into this place of hungering for your righteousness, for your cleansing. God, I pray that you would lead us over these next few days as we pray this prayer in our personal time. God, would you give us the courage to pray it. Give us the courage to respond however you lead us. And God, give us the, the people around us who can help us. Give us the tools so we can find the healing and the health that we need in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.